This week's episode of Aussie Takeout is brought to you by Start New Company. Register your company immediately today with ASIC. ABN, TFN, GST registration is also available directly from the portal. Also set up your family trust and self-managed superannuation fund and more. All at startnewcompany.com.au. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash startnewco and keep an eye out for our regular specials. Start your new company now within 10 minutes of lodgement. All legal company documentation provided after registration. startnewcompany.com.au Also brought to you by athwebhosting.com.au. All our servers are operating on SSD drives, immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration, and more. Easy install WordPress, Joomla, Drupal, and 300 other one-click installations. Generous space and bandwidth, auto backups, WordPress help and maintenance plans are also available on contact. If your webpage is important for your business or your life, contact us today. Aussie support, secure services, athwebhosting.com.au. And now for the show. Welcome to episode 716 of the Aussie Tech Heads, recorded on the 11th of March, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Oakley. This is my co-host, Will Tompkinson. Hey, Will. Hey, mate. How's things going? Yes. Yes, it's going? <laughs> mostly. They're mostly going. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we got dual scrollers in stereo now. Yeah, and they're both saying the same thing cause, because, <laughs> because buggy programming, that's why. Uh, dear, dear. The, the irony, dear. irony of that is they're actually both disabled at this point. Oh, <laughs> I think it's probably best just to not draw attention to it. <laughs> just ignore that. We mentioned yeah. it once, but we might get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on. There's a reference for you, people. See so who knows where that's from. Oh, I know you'd know. <laughs> oh, you, you I tell you, at, at the board game night on Friday <laughs> nights, they've got card games and one of them's a uh, genre of cards called Flux, F-L-U-X-X, and they had a Monty Python version of it. So, Oh, nice. Some of the questions required you to quote from Monty Python or do uh, several lines of a sketch with two a minimum of two characters talking to each other. <laughs> and I'm like, are you guys really sure you want to play this with me? Because... <laughs> When I was in high school, my mum said if the high school certificate had been about Monty Python, I would have got a distinction. <laughs> Pretty much. But it's a lot of fun. They, they starts off, they have a rule that you begin with, with you put a card down on the table. That's the starting rules. And you draw one card, play one card. But somebody might have a card that says, draw four cards. So now every time it comes to your hand, you have to draw four cards. And then it, you might have play two cards so that you're drawing four and playing two and then you can play a card against somebody else and trap them or do random things and stuff like this so the the rules change all the way through and also the goal at the start there's no goal but then somebody puts down a goal card that might be if you have the um dead parrot 
and also the king from um, Camelot on the table in front of you, you immediately win the game. <laughs> so it, you could you could just be like going along, and then suddenly you're looking at the cards, and somebody will play play that or pick up the the king, and they already had the parrot. They you have to put those cards down in front of you when you've got them, and then you just go, oh, I just won the game, and that's it. The whole game's finished. <laughs> okay. Or you can extend it, or you can restart the game. There was a, another one that's similar to that called Muffin Time, and uh, I got this card that said because um, you, you had to get so many cards in your hand to win, and the card that I got was restart the whole game from scratch. Everybody put all their cards back in, shuffle it up, and redeal. <laughs> so they they did that. And then somebody played a card where everybody had to throw their cards in, and then you had to start drawing again. And then I got the same card, so I just restarted it again. <laughs> and they're like, "Will you stop doing that?" I said, "Okay." So we played a few more rounds. The next one was that I played was everybody throws away all but one card. So all these cards you've been planning, crafting your strategy, and then suddenly you got one card. I said, "It's it's not completely restarting the game, but it's pretty close." But yeah, a lot of fun. Check out Flux cards. They got different ones, Monty Python, and. All sorts of themes and TV shows and movies and stuff. It's all based on. Do they have Back to the Future? a lot of fun. Sorry? Do they have Back to the Future? Yeah, probably. <laughs> we did play a Back <clears throat> to the Future board game where you, they have the three time zones that you, you, Marty and Doc went into and you have to play different things and you have to make sure the Biffs don't get to the things that they're stealing in that time. It's called Back in Time. Yeah, I was literally just looking that up because I was about to say I used to play that. Oh um, yeah, I, we had played it a couple ago. weeks ago. I'd never heard of it before. There's, but. <clears throat> there's two versions of it. There's the Back in Time, which is what the original one was. Yeah, and a guy's released one called um, uh, I want to say it's like Back in Dice or something, yep. or Dice in Time, something like that. And it's it's like a modernized version. Oh, of it, that's okay. like you can download it yourself and print all the stuff and make all the figurines and yeah and whatever. It's a it's an open source game, but yeah, that um the other one I used to play and I was just looking up to see if it was real or if it was a figment of my imagination. It turns out it is real. Is there's a Monopoly Back to the Future? Oh right, yeah, we got Monopoly Doctor Who. And, that was our uh, favourite. <laughs> I played that, um, but yeah, the yeah I I don't have time. I used to play. <laughs> I used to be into Warhammer and do modeling and figurines and Yeah, we got two D and D groups. There's there's a group that it's brings funny. their own D and D table, which has got the legs of it are four twenty sided dice, but they're all about this big. <laughs> Huge dice, put one on each corner, four of them, and then the table and they just bring it out of their car and then bring it up, put it up on the stage because we're playing at a venue. They play their game up there. It's just some guys who play together, they're all friends. They don't yeah. actually have other people from our board game night play it. They just want a location so they can play it rather than just at home all the time. Yeah. So they do their thing up there and we keep an eye on what's going. And then another group started a brand new Dungeons & Dragons up the other end, but I haven't had time to play that because there's so many other games and things going on that keep me quite busy, but it's a lot of fun and gets me out of the house every Friday. <laughs> I never got into... 
Dungeons and Dragons. Well, okay. I never played Dungeons and Dragons. I actually quite enjoy the concept of it, and I've watched a lot of people play it. But because, yeah. for the most part, it requires a history with the law and you build your character up over such a long period of time, I never had the time to to do that whole yeah, process. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I quite enjoy the concept of it and I'd love to, you know, have a, you know, Sunday night two-hour gaming session with somebody and, and gradually do that. Um, yeah. It'd be great, but I just never had the opportunity to do that. We I was used looking, to do it in high school at uh, recess and lunchtime. We played, I played Magic was about the closest I got to some sort of ongoing... I've thing. never played Magic. <clears throat> Magic. I understand that you end up with 200 million cards oh, or something. Oh, <laughs> I, I had a small deck. I think I only had about a hundred cards. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was amateur. Like some of these guys, dead set, they had like four or five briefcases full of cards. Yeah, yeah. And I the believe pe- it. Oh. I went to somebody's place in Melbourne, and they had the dining table, and they never used it to eat because it's always <laughs> cards all over there. All the chairs were stacks of cards. All the side tables just stacks of magic cards. I've got no idea what it's about, but. I think some sort of card game like that. Is it like that um, one that we used to play for, on Battle.net from Blizzard? Probably, yeah. Uh, I can't think what it's called now. Hearthstone. Yeah. Hearthstone, yeah. Yeah. There's a few of those sort of games. And I'm you, ma- you win the cards off other people and you take their cards or something. Yeah. I mean, there's a few. Like, even um, even prior to that, like, the you know, prior to Magic sort of taking it off again, but go back another 20 years prior to that, and there was a, a lot of sort of... We had your defense cards and your hit cards, and you know it's not a new concept. I mean, D and D is the same sort of thing, but uh, it's done more in a role-playing sort of strategy. But it's it's effectively could be played in, as a card game. It's it's all about hit points and you know, defense points and attack. And Mojang made a game called Scrolls, which is the same sort of thing. Scrolls, yeah, it was another one. Um, but I see Warhammer was the same thing. Warhammer, oh, okay. Warhammer was effectively a card game, but you played it on a board with with bot with mechs. But they they did the same thing. They still had hit points and attack points and move points. So it, the principle was exactly the same. Yeah. You know, so my brother-in-law is heavily into Warhammer and he paints the figurines and stuff. Mm. Now he's got a 3d printer. He can print out stuff. Let's see. I was just looking at these Fox games. They, they do have a pretty decent range. They've got, um, uh, Dr. Who they've got Firefly, They've got, let's see. Don't stop saying things. I'm going to have to buy all of them now. They've Doctor Who and Flyway. Jumanji. They've got Marvel. They've got Monty Python. They've got uh, SpongeBob. Um, <laughs> Star Trek. Star Trek DS9. Star Trek GNG. Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> uh, what else have they got? Uh, they've got... No, I don't know what any of those ones are. I haven't heard of any of those. But they got oh, they got adult versions. Adult Mad yep. Labs, Drinking Games, Stoner Fox. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Oh, they got a Back to the Future one, too. There we go. It was there. It's out of print, but I'm sure uh, I'll find it. Mr. T would have got it. I would have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. Don't be no. silly. I'm trying to I'm trying to be a sensible grown male and achieve life goals here. Why would I spend <laughs> how much are they? They're not too bad. I could probably <laughs> None of us are anything like that, you liar. <laughs> Depends on You lying hound <laughs> Oh dear. So what have I been up to? I got one of these chairs called a Ergo Lux from Mr. Kogan. Ergo Lux. It sounds like a like budget yeah, go car. Lux. Yeah. It was a budget car. 
Ergolux Hotshot Reclining Gaming Chair. It arrived this morning, only ordered a couple of days ago, and took about 15, 20 minutes to assemble. It's got like half a dozen bolts here and there. It's just trying to push the parts together to get the bolt holes to line up, and that was the hardest part, but seems to be pretty comfy. you got the neck pillow and the back support pillow and the feet go up, and you got somewhere to put your drinks. I like the fact it's a round base, so you don't have a gap between legs that you can fall flat on your ass with. <laughs> or slide around. <laughs> I mean, 300 bucks isn't bad. I, I've got a director's chair thing sitting here yep. that I've had to weld the base three times because the base just keeps cracking oh, and breaking. Yep. And, it, and it was a $500 chair. I call this so, my fat man chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what that was supposed to be because it doesn't have the arms on the side to give oh, you more yep, room. Yep. Um, yeah. But it's it was five hundred dollar chair. It lasted about six months, and then it started breaking. Oh, jeez, so that's not good. Hopefully, that'll last a bit longer. But um, I mean, it's yeah. got twelve month warranty or whatever on it anyway. So, and I got um, the two um, air conditioners installed. So three point five in this room because it's extra big with the walk in room and bathroom and ensuite, and two point five for my daughter Mitsubishi ones. I think you said they're heavy industry, aren't they? Most yeah, the Mitsubishi ones are commercial. And uh, it's got a Wi-Fi app and uh, also can be connected up to Google Home. So you can tell Google to set the temperature at whatever or if you're out for the day and it's coming home and it's going to be a really hot night or really cold night and you want to cool the place or warm it, you can just set it in the Wi-Fi app while you're out and when you get home, the place is the right temperature. So fantastic, very happy with that. Yeah, there's um, they're doing a lot of stuff these days, which is pretty. And neat. so quiet, can't hear it. <clears throat> you know, we got a big seven kilowatt out in the lounge room, and it's got um, uh, I can't remember what they call it. It's got like friendly mode or something. It's called, which is yeah, it runs a sp- fan at a certain speed that doesn't annoy the ears like it doesn't cavitate it doesn't whine it's just like a nice you can hear it but it's not an annoying yeah, noise so. yeah yeah um and yes i'll switch to dual cameras in a second i'm just having trouble with my camera for some reason it's decided it doesn't want to compared ball. to having a box in the room attached to the window <laughs> with a big pipe it's making very loud yeah. noise all night long and all day long that's all right well, it's so also got, whispered quiet for a podcast should I ever decide to start one. Yeah, I know. Well, I've got one right above me, same thing. Um, and it's on its, it's on its friendly mode or whatever it is. They're um, Renai's. All right. Those yeah. ones. And they've got this, yeah, this human, what do I call it? Human interface mode or something. And it's got a little square sensor thing on it. Yeah. And you can set it to follow mode. So as you walk around in the room, it moves the veins to face you. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, and the, you know. the best thing I think is that the two portable air conditioners were like three thousand watts, yeah, or so, and these are like three hundred each. Yep. <laughs> so I'm still waiting for my um, solar panels, but when they turn up, then um, I shouldn't be using any electricity. Hopefully, I can be outputting and not taking any from the grid at all, because the especially with the Tesla power wall, because uh, it can run during blackouts and mm. when the grid's gone and stuff. So, well, be very happy. Then. That's the neat part. When I get my EV, it'll be the same thing. You can, it's got a built-in inverter, so I can run my house off that. 
Oh, right. So if we get power outage or whatever, I can just plug into just that. Just watch and... out for the carbon monoxide from it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You don't want to get poisoning. <clears throat> so, what of that happened in Texas because it got too cold and all the power was off, so people went to the garage and sat yeah. in the car with the heater on. And I know, right? Had... That wasn't a good outcome. Some people aren't real bright. <sighs> Do what you can, I guess. Should we uh, talk about the usual stuff that's usually here, but it's gone... There it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, patreon.com slash techheads helps us out tremendously. Um, that money that does go into there goes back into the kitty and helps us with our hosting and our uh, programming. And our, I have to mention, too, we haven't streamed the last couple of weeks, and that's, my, that's on me. Um, I have got home way too late to settle that up. It's literally I've got home, had a shower, and jumped in front of the mic to do a podcast. So um, that's probably going to be a thing for the next couple of weeks. Um, yep. but hopefully things will settle down soon I'll let you know more when it's all official and finalised but um, yeah at this stage it's just a whole lot of work and a whole lot of effort and no reward at the moment <laughs> <coughs> but uh, no honestly yeah the the Patreon and the, the coffee and uh, PayPal all that stuff it really does help us out, it makes a big difference um, gives us something to look forward to and something to achieve so thanks heaps guys for doing that we know that you must like us yeah well you, the, you know or at least don't hate us yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, good enough. You know, it's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> do we do some news? I guess so. I mean, <laughs> you know, PayPal is launching its own buy now, pay later service called Pay in Four, which is set to be operational by June for nine million PayPal accounts across Australia. The offering will allow customers to split purchases value between fifty and fifteen hundred dollars across four equal repayments every fortnight. General consumers will see the new pay in four option at checkout or in their digital wallet, while merchants can integrate the new offering as a payment option on their website. Merchants will also be able to show the monetary value of each installment through a messaging feature, letting, custom, letting consumers know how much to expect each payment to be. Spokesman for PayPal said pay in four will incur no extra cost to merchants as it included in the existing merchant account arrangements. A spokesperson added the company's standard merchant charge is 2.6% plus 30 cents for domestic transactions in Australia. This is slightly lower than Afterpay's fee of around 4% plus 30 cents, which may provide PayPal an edge. Australian consumers looking for more choice and flexibility and PayPal pay and for gives them yet another way to purchase securely using PayPal. He stated the introduction of the new Buy Now, Pay Later service is a direct response to strong consumer expectations alongside heightened demand driven by COVID-19. Australian business customers have been requesting Buy Now, Pay Later functionality from us. Well, that sounds pretty handy. I love, the way, in, uh... <clears throat> I love the way they obfuscate certain parts of their payment structure to make it sound really impressive. Yep. Then I match the fact that if you actually want to get to the money that's in your PayPal account, it costs you money to do that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can use it from your PayPal account to buy stuff, and that's fine. But if you want to transfer it into your bank account, it costs you X amount of money to do that. Um, you don't have that problem with Afterpay and, pay and uh, ZipPay. Just go straight into your account. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, yeah, they, they didn't mention that bit. <laughs> <laughs> and pay Nobody expects that. ZipPay doesn't. Uh, Afterpay. Actually, Afterpay doesn't charge us anything either at work for using it maybe 
neither does Zip Pay. We don't pay for those merchant services, so I'm not quite sure what they're talking about there. But anyway, you want to jump on the bandwagons, all? Yeah. Want to slice that pie? You see many people using Zip and After. Um, it goes in stage. You won't get anybody for a month to use it, and then all of a sudden, for like the next three days, that's all people will use. Oh. Um, Zip Pay mostly. Afterpay doesn't get used as much. Plus, Afterpay we can only do on the website. We don't have a back-end portal to access Afterpay in the store. So right. if you want to use Afterpay, you've got to pay for it on the website. Choose Pickup as the option and come and get it. Um, because it costs... Ah, that's probably where the cost comes in. Because if you have a merchant portal, that's where you pay for the money. But if it's done on the website, it doesn't. So uh, that's probably what they're saying, why it charges money. Uh, Zip Pay, you get a free portal, merchant portal for it. Um, we've got... Another one as well. I can't think what the other one is. There's a third one in there as well that we have that no, I, I don't think it's ever been used. I think it was just part of another bundle we got. Um, oh, okay. <clears throat> but I mean, we don't even accept uh, Amex anymore. Like, I would get two people a year asking for Amex now. Like, yep. it's not the thing it used to be. We'd, we've turned off support because that costs us like $25 a month just to have it sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. So we don't do that anymore. But PayPal. I don't know. PayPal's not something you sort of use like that, really. I mean, maybe that'll change. I don't know. I don't think of... I think of PayPal as a payment portal, not a credit portal, if that makes sense. Like, because it uses money from my credit card already to pay for something. Like, it doesn't seem that should take money from my credit card to pay for something later off my credit card anyway. When yeah. I pay the repayments, I'm still taking it off my credit card. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> you know, that's what ZipPay or Afterpay is for. They're, they're already doing that. And most people who want that sort of system already have that set up. Yep. I don't really see... I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. But maybe it's got something to do with... Uh, so, I've got a double story here on PayPal. One we covered ages ago, but I'll just quickly rehash it just to remind you uh, a little bit of what it's about. PayPal... Um, this is in the US because Australia is dumb. But US PayPal users soon uh, use crypto in lieu of fiat currency. Um, this is back in, where are we? Uh, I believe it's like October last year. Yeah, October 21st last year. Uh, PayPal announced its foray in the crypto market. It received its conditional bit, uh, bit license from New York State Department of Financial Services. Through a partnership with Paxis Trust Company, PayPal users in the United States will be able to buy, hold, and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin within the PayPal digital wallet. And that commenced early this year. Now, as part of that, and this is the part that affects all PayPal users, not just the American ones, um, PayPal said Monday that it's acquiring Curve, a, start, a uh, startup based in Tel Aviv that provides security infrastructure for digital assets on, and blockchains. The deal is meant to support PayPal's recent foray into cryptocurrency, including the launch of the company's new business unit focused on blockchain, crypto, and digital currencies. On this website, Curve explains the secret source uh, is the use of multi-party, um, multi-party compute, computation. That word just looked wrong. My brain couldn't process it. Multi-pass. <laughs> uh, protocols that eliminate the use of private keys for crypto storage. According to Curve, private keys are a single point of failure in public key cryptocurrency. Um, so basically, <clears throat> yeah. So they're going to 
um, use it for their crypto, but it also is going to help them with their just the general PayPal security. Um, you especially if you if you set up it so it uses um, you know Ortho or one of those authentication programs or something like that, or it uses a, a key the same way that you log into some of your um, Bitcoin wallets and stuff like that. You, they're going to be using the same sort of principle to help with just general security across their website as well as um, as they're saying. Well, according to this, this is a recent article. They're saying they're successful foray into um, cryptocurrency. So. Oh, it's hard to say. Obviously, we don't use it here, so I don't know what it's like. But they reckon in the states, it's actually doing pretty well. Oh, so good. which would make Everything's sense. Everything's going crypto. Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense because they're already a cash handling. Like that's what they do. They convert from your bank account to some currency to pay to a website. So it's yep. not really that much of a stretch. Imagining them doing crypto to whatever currency the website wants. So the currency itself, the uh website itself doesn't have to support the crypto because they're going to do the conversion. So I don't see that, you know, be interesting to see. Be interesting that they charge for the privilege of converting back to fiat though. Yeah. From yeah. crypto. That'd be interesting. Um, and I'm wondering, the other thing I'm still wondering is how they're tackling the problem of, of a tank in the, like, you know, crypto could drop, you know, especially something like, um, you know, especially something like Bitcoin that could be, you know, whatever it is, $25,000 one day and then $11,000 the next. Like if you've got physical access, assets in that stocks and stock and products and stuff like that, how do you account for that loss overnight? You know, like there's got to be some sort of safeguard in place that says once you've, so. once you've accepted that $25,000 in Bitcoin, that's actually the value that's sitting in your bank account. Yeah, and just because crypto's dropped to eleven thousand overnight, you're still getting your twenty five thousand that you originally got. Yeah, like that's yeah. you know what I mean. Like there has to be something like that in place. So I would imagine. I mean, it, <clears throat> to me, that's the biggest downside. Like at work, I'm looking at getting a crypto uh, FPOS machine um, that takes uh, Australia coin, Bitcoin, Litecoin, uh, mm. four or five others. Um, but they can't answer me that question because they settle at midnight every night, which is different to the stock exchange midnight every night. Different to what the cryptocurrencies, you know, do their roll their rolling updates on. Um, yeah. I said, how can you guarantee me if somebody comes and spends twenty five grand on a solar system that in midnight and tonight when you settle, I'm still going to get my twenty five grand out of it. You know, they haven't been able to answer me that yet. No. <laughs> That's the only reason I'm not doing it at the moment. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine they would have to have a backup. You know, <laughs> maybe they've got $2 billion worth of crypto, but if that's only worth one tomorrow, yeah. then how do you make up the other $1 billion? That, that That's what they can't answer me. Like they, I can't get a straight answer out of anybody saying, well... I get the transaction happened at this time and that's what it's worth. But the thing is, I don't have to pay my supplier for 30 days. Yeah. So I'm not in any, I'm not, you know, that, that crypto has to be converted to fiat at some point so that I can pay my supplier. Yeah. And I'm not going to rush in to do it because I may make a transaction in crypto between now and then, but I've still got to pay my supplier. So I know that I've got to have a certain amount of profit margin out of this amount. So yeah. 
<clears throat> the system seems to break down in the real world. Like I, I get in theory, <laughs> crypto works on a on a service level where you don't necessarily have physical outgoings, but when you when it's when you're trying to cross over into the real real world and you have a physical asset behind that, this yeah. is where it seems to struggle. Yeah, it's not like you could buy your batteries using Bitcoin all the time and if the value went down, well, the price of it would go down. No, I mean, but you can use Bitcoin to buy Netflix because worst case scenario, their digital asset that they've lost loses value for a little while and comes back up again, but it hasn't physically cost them money. Yeah. You know, so that's fine. But yeah, once you put it in the real world and there's physical losses and physical changes, even even something as simple, for example, um, when we import batteries, we pay one price on the, we pay whatever the american dollar the australian dollar versus the chinese dollar is when we buy the batteries yep. then six or eight or 12 weeks later when those batteries land at the port we pay an import tax based on what the dollar is at the time they land not at the time that we purchased it yep. so could you imagine buying them in let's say uh, dogecoin for example you buy them in that where they're at you know, it's at like a quarter, 25 cents per coin and you've paid for amount in that. And then suddenly that same currency goes up to $2.50 a coin by the time it lands at the dock. Well, you've got to pay 10 times more in tax yeah, because suddenly that's worth 10 times more even though the physical properties of what changed. Ha- hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So these are the sort of things that need to be, need to be worked on, I think. <clears throat> Chinese drone DJI technology built up such a successful U.S. business over the past decade that it almost drove all competitors out of the market. Yet its North American operations have been hit by internal ructions in recent weeks and months with a raft of staff cuts and departures, according to interviews with more than two dozen current and former employees. The loss of key managers, some of who have joined rivals, has compounded problems caused by U.S. government restrictions on Chinese companies and raised the once remote prospect of DJI's dominance being eroded, said four of the people, including two senior executives. About a third of DJI's 200-strong team in the region was laid off or resigned last year from offices in Palo Alto, Burbank, and New York, according to three former and one current employee. In February this year, DJI's head of U.S. research and development left, and the company laid off the remaining R&D staff, numbering roughly 10 people, at its flagship U.S. research center in California's Palo Alto. So it may not be the big dominant player that it used to be. <sighs> it was bound to happen, but part of that is the whole, I'm not buying Chinese anymore push. Yeah, Sure, I'm not buying anything, but I'm not buying Chinese. Yeah, so that, <laughs> that's a bit of a fad that it'll pass yeah. as well. But um, their products are... I real mean, word, real-world consequences for that too. Yeah, that's right. But a lot of it is too that their products were ahead of the game for for quite a while, <clears throat> uh, and still are to some degree. But there's a lot of other, uh, not necessarily cheaper, similarly priced but different featured drones that you know that do the same sort of thing now. There's just not the the Maverick or the whatever they had. You know, they've had two or three versions, the yeah. DJI two and three, whatever. But it's not just those are the only thing on the market that'll do their job now. There's, yeah, now people have played catch up and got there. That's right. There's several big brands that will do the same job, same flight time, same recharge time, same distances, same, you know, and then they'll have their own features that set them apart. Um, I don't think it's 
turmoil per se. It's just the market shift, and that's always going to happen when you when you are the market leader. And any look at Tesla, the market leader for eight years or nine years or whatever it was in EVs. In the last couple of years, these other companies are starting to bring out EVs that are both reliable, have decent range, you know, decent quality. So they had the they had the geek advantage to start with or the you know and the geeks and the nerds and the fanboys were carrying the business for the first few years yep. and then once competition levels out tesla's not going to go broke no. they're simply going to diversify the the actual action of having competition brings the pricing structures down because suddenly the battery packs the wiring the steel everything they're using to manufacture these products everybody else is using to manufacture these products so yep. the the pure bulk quantity of processing of manufacture brings the prices down. So everybody in that industry benefits from it. Yeah. So and that, that's, that's why they do diversify into SpaceX and the boring company and all these other things. Yeah. And I mean, you don't yeah. want it all relying on <clears throat> one single. That's product. right. And, and DJI has done something similar from, from memory. Um, they've gone from just doing um, drones, which is all they literally did when they started. They do a lot of other stuff now. The um, they do, um, and they still do a lot of drones. But they do like not just a drone now. They'll do gimbal stuff. They'll do professional accessories where the drones can handle DSLRs. They'll do integrated systems. They do automated systems. They do um, you know delivery drones. They do payload drones. They'll do <laughs> you know they do software for. Um, even for flight simulators, learning how to fly them and, and first percher, and they do their crop drones and their crop protection, which is stuff that monitor for you know different activities and different um, you know things and that. So they've they've gone from just doing that same drone that every YouTuber used forever. Yeah. You know they're doing that. They still do that. They still do the GJO Mini and the Maverick Air and stuff like that. Like that's their their staple. But they've got so many of these other things. Like even the Osmo, which is now a, a handheld camera. They've got the Robomaster, which is their um, drone, but like a tank sort of deal. You know, so they've got they've diversified, which so it's been great. So um, they even have like special magnetic um, uh, mounts and stuff for cameras that hold them in certain orientations. So. You can use them hands-free while you're flying your drones, and they've got these educational packs now, and they've got all this sort of stuff. So the fact that there's competition is actually great because now they're still leading in all these other areas. Now they're not just <clears throat> so. Yes, you can buy a million variants on a Maverick, yeah, but this they've this area here and this area here and this area here suddenly they're you know they're number one again because they've had to diversify. So. I don't think, you know, it's it's great. I mean, um, I don't think it's anything to be worried about, certainly. If you, you know, yeah. I think, if anything, eventually will, it will, um, uh, it will benefit them in the long run, yeah. you know, especially now with a lot of the farming, the way it's going, the tractors are already fully automated. A lot of the stuff is automated to the point where the farmer basically just manages stuff rather than has to, have 400 you know if you've got massive fields instead of having a dozen staff working on on each field you could have a couple of dozen three or four or five dozen staff on a property you can cut your numbers down increase your overheads uh, or decrease your overheads make a better profit margin get something like the the agriculture drone 
and it can fly and spray fields and all sorts of stuff. You can do it from the comfort of your home, or you can go and check on your, you know, animals and whatever, make sure they're doing what they need to do. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, I think, and it's the same as I said with with EVs. There's a massive diversification now that there wasn't eight years ago. Though, that eight ten years ago, however long they've been around, that wasn't a thing. There was there was one EV on the market, and they got pulled after two years. Well, there was two EVs. One got pulled after two years, and one got pulled after like three years. So they had free reign for years and then other go- other companies have gone, oh, maybe we should do something about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and computer industry is the same. Like the, it was for many, many years. It was IBM and it was Apple. Like that, that was what you had if you wanted a home PC. And then the advent of the, the IBM compatible became a thing. And no name, these no name companies sprung out of nowhere and you suddenly you had your, your, beige box pc that you know had a two cow sticker or had a, a whatever sticker on the front of it from some random man manuf- not even a manufacturer some random guy in a basement making computers gateway gateway is a classic example of that <laughs> um you know and because of this and suddenly the manufacturing quantities went up the volumes went up the prices come down yeah um and it went from i remember it went, in computers, you know, we went from having, you know, I was in the, I sort of started working in the industry in the transition from sort of four eight six mid four eight sixes to the Pentium transition, yeah, um, and suddenly you went from selling everybody that computer because that's that's the computer that everybody had to have because that's pretty much all that was available, yeah. Then suddenly all these all these, but even the manufacturers who were producing one part. So Mac, so um, was it Mac Store? Did the Bigfoot? They went from producing a normal hard drive for their normal systems and their their, their gaming spectacular hard drive, which is their big Bigfoot thing that they produced. Oh, yeah, was, yeah. was it Mac Store? I think it was them. And so suddenly they started looking at the niche market. So then suddenly you'd have a. Uh, mum and dad PC that was there to do their word processing and print stuff out on a tractor feed. Then the internet started to come out about that same period of time. So suddenly you had people doing LAN parties playing Need for Speed and Doom and Duke and Quake and all that sort of stuff. So then you had a gaming PC. So you had the same box and you probably had the same motherboard and then you had the next spec up CPU. You had as much RAM as you could shove in the thing. You had these Trident uh, Turbo 3Ds or a, um, Voodoo Voodoo 2 or a Matrix, uh, Matrix Millennium um, video card and the Sound Blaster card. And then you had your mum and dad had the little you know Quantum or Seagate 50 meg hard drive and you had like a 200 meg Bigfoot hard drive that <laughs> you know, made your Quantum. T- tower vibrate. Quantum, that's it, yeah. Was it Quantum to the Bigfoot? Yeah. Ah, because I... I used to sell them. I just had a mental blank. I used to. I actually still have my original Quantum 50 meg hard drive in my wow. compact 386 SX 25 email server. <laughs> it's still sitting at Dad's place. Yeah, still got email in it. <laughs> still got email from my Aussie Mail account back in like '95 or whatever it was. That's where I started out with Aussie Mail. <laughs> but yeah, it's you know. So all these industries where they go, oh, we've got the advantage. Well, you don't for long, and you're going to have competition. But the good companies are the ones who adapt. Yeah. Not 
a lot of the fly-by-nighters who go, oh, we got competition, quick, let's get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... Competition, good. Mm. Um, telcos, take note. <laughs> oh, Telstra, take note. Competition, good. Although I guess technically they're blaming the government for that these days. Yeah. <laughs> Blame everybody else. A- NBN, NBN, competition, good. No, competition, bad. <laughs> <laughs> we tell you what to do, not the other way around. <laughs> um, speaking of people, tell people what to do. Um, McAfee, the great guy that he is, that you know, Johnny. <laughs> Here's Johnny. Um, so McAfee announced Monday. So there's there's three levels of stuff going on here. McAfee announced Monday that it will sell its enterprise security business to a consortium led by a Symphony Technology Group, uh, who is a private equity group that focuses on consumer security. So, they worth four billion dollars. Apparently, this startup equity group's got four billion dollars in laying around. But ah. um, we'll mention John Doe hasn't owned them for a very long time. He's had nothing to do with it. Yeah, well, McCaff- he's kept his name. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Same with um, Norton, wasn't it? Yeah, and was it Andrew Norton? Or something? Not Andrew Norton. And, and it was no. And then it became semantic. Yeah. Well, then you had the other one. Um, and I there was another one. It was an NOD or something. Same thing became something else. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, vet. That's right. Vet became NOD. I think. Oh, okay, they were Australian, <clears throat> weren't they? Were they? Vet anyway. Were they Australian? Oh, they could have been. Yeah, because they were part of the Australian consumer oh, something rather, and all the that's right, because all the government computers we used to had all had vet on them. Um, that was that's a wow, that's a nightmare that I don't wish to relive. <laughs> <laughs> Dealing with government PCs behind firewalls with antivirus. Peter Norton. Peter, yeah, that's right. In August 1990, Symantec acquired Peter Norton Computing from Peter Norton. Norton his company developed various DOS utilities, including Norton Utilities, which did not include antivirus features. Symantec continued on the development of acquired technologies. They marketed under the name of Norton with the tagline from Symantec. Norton's cross-arm pose a registered U.S. trademark. It was traditionally featured on Norton product packaging. Mm. However, his pose was later moved to the spine. They actually dropped. Yeah, because I had um, I had a heaven Norton stuff. I mean, I still have my copy of Norton Ghost, like 14 or something or whatever it was, from <laughs> forever ago. Yeah, yeah. So, and PC Anywhere is another Norton product. From back in the day, back when you used to modem to modem communication, but uh, but yeah, so they they're um, uh, so they paid four billion for this company. Uh, so the deal is meant to bolster its efforts to become pure play cross consumer cybersecurity company. Since it split from Intel in early 2017, McAfee has pivoted uh, to cloud services and worked to build out its platform with focus on enterprise product portfolio. However, the company is now narrowing focus and directing its resources to the consumer side of the business in a bid to long-term growth. So this, um, what are they called? Uh, Symphony Technology Group. Um, I'm going to have their hands full with their... Because by the sounds of things, if Norton's like, here, have this, or McAfee's like, here, have this, 
sounds like all their existing customers and enterprise that's using McAfee are going to be going, hey, we need help and you guys are it now. Yeah. <laughs> so have fun with that. <laughs> On the upside, though, their shares went up as well. So if you've got McAfee shares, congratulations. Uh-huh. You got, you got, they went up like 15%. So I don't know what they are. I haven't looked at what they are, but that's not a bad jump for any any shares really. Yeah. And they come off the back of a Q four, twenty three percent revenue increase, growth in Q four as well. So they've had back to backs on the up and up. On the up and up for a while. Oh there we go. Uh revenue yielding uh Okay, over the last uh what? Oh, okay. Over the last 12 months, even though they've had back-to-backs, there's still a net loss of 73 cents per share. Oh. <laughs> so, almost. So close. Almost. Must have buy that much. They reckon by the end of the year, it'll be up another 30. They reckon it'll be up to a 31%, 31 cent profit. So, it'll have gone up to 73 plus another 31. So, it's gone up a dollar, they reckon, all up. Oh, uh, TPG Capital owns 49% stake in McAfee now. Oh, wow. Hmm. So that's Did interesting. Get <laughs> TPG gets her in. The old Google Pay service that's been around for years is dying. The app itself will be mm. shut down in the US on April the 5th. And if you want to continue using new Google Pay, you'll have to go find and download a totally new app. NFC tap and pay functionality won't really change once you set up the new app, but the new Google Pay app won't use your Google account for pay to pay, uh, P2P payments anymore. You'll be required to make a new account. You won't be able to send any money to your new contacts until they download the new app and make a new account too. On top of that, Google Pay website will be stripped of all payment functionality in the US on April the 5th, and new Google Pay won't support doing anything from the web. You won't be able to transfer money, view payment activity, or see your balance from a browser. In addition to less convenient access and forcing users to remake their accounts, new Google Pay is also enticing users to switch with new fees for transfers to debit cards. Old Google Pay did this for free, but new Google Pay now has a fee of 1.5% or $0.31, cents, whichever is higher, when you transfer out money with a debit card. Google is currently sending out emails to existing users detailing all this. There's also a support page link and notice at the top of pay.google.com. On the Play Store, Google has already started hiding the old Google Pay app from search results, renamed it Google Pay Old App, and updated the app home screen with a message to sign up for the new app. So it's going to be less convenient, less useful. Make a new account and they're going to start charging you money. I think the only thing I've ever used Google Pay for is a couple of apps upgrades on I, my phone i used it today to <clears throat> buy some stuff at the chemist oh really yeah uh, yeah so um mm, but was that google pay or was that just the pay part of like for your card access it's google pay that uses my card with tap from here oh, okay see i just use the app the ing app for that like my bank's app i just use that for mine doesn't pay. my bank's app doesn't do that stuff uh, okay. by tech so it doesn't maybe... even have fingerprint ready yet but i could just switch this to Samsung Pay, which uses yeah. the same phone, and maybe for something like that, it's useful. The only thing I've used it for is buying a couple of apps, full version apps on my phone. Yeah. And Bob, when he was learning to use my phone, 
pressing the pay for 4 million tokens button. Um, <laughs> V-Bucks. <laughs> but... I don't, yeah. I don't really use it's it that not... much most of the time. I'd say 99% of the time I'll get out my credit card and tap it. Occasionally, if I want to feel cool, I'll use my Fitbit watch to do it. And very rarely, once in a while, I might tap with my phone just because it's there. Yeah, I'll so, usually only do it if I've forgotten my wallet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Google Pay, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to miss it. I don't use it, really. And I, I don't know, I don't even know anybody who really... Maybe if you've got it set up on your TV for like... oh For stuff like YouTube, if you have YouTube Premium and YouTube Movies and stuff, maybe, because I know it uses Google Pay. Um, not not Samsung, uh, not Sony, because nobody watches movies on their PlayStation. We addressed that last week. Yeah, well, only an idiot would do that. I know, right? <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, no, it's not. Uh, I don't think it's as. I don't, certainly don't think anybody's going to go to a paid app when there's so many other free options still yeah. kicking around. I just get my card out. I mean. Or we'll use the Samsung Pay, Samsung as I pay said. or the Bank Pay, the, or PayPal. The thing about or the Zip Samsung pay. pay functionality in their phones compared to Google is on some of the um, terminals in the US that require a magnetic strip still to work, the, the hardware inside here and software can imitate the magnetic strip type transaction. And you can still pay it even if they don't have NFC tap to pay. Oh, really? Only Samsung phones do that. Yeah. So there, a lot of a lot of people will go with their phone to tap and pay, and the the reg- person at the register will be like, "That doesn't work," and they go, "Want to bet?" Click. Oh, how'd that work with your phone? It's got Samsung Pay. How bizarre! How do they? Emulate- yeah, it's it simulates a, a magnetic strip. Yeah. I don't know how it's all black magic to me, but it seems to work, they reckon. So that really is. That's like shoving a CD into your tape deck and getting music. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, te- actually, technically, that would work if the phone can simulate a, ta- a magnetic tape s- strip for data yeah. processing. Then theoretically, you could stick your phone into your tape deck and it would play music. Like, because they're the same principle. It's literally a head that reads magnetic data. No, like, it doesn't read hard drive. It doesn't read digital data. It only reads magnetic data. Yeah. So it somehow has to be processing mag- physical magnetic data. Like, yeah. there's no way around. That. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I'll Something to look into. Look yeah. into that. I'm curious now, but that's interesting. We don't have to <laughs> have it here because we've had tap and pay forever. And mm, which US is, is only it's one of the few the things we're in front years. of everybody else with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's only because our government wants a cashless society, so that's why they're quick to roll it out. Yeah. All their stuff will take any kind of tap now. Mm. All the buses and trains. <clears throat> when it and, works. When it works, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always work. I still, I still have that when, when you go somewhere and you tap it and then you're like, so, how's the weather been? Yeah, pretty good. Um, nice day. You know, I think this thing's still processing. It, it should well, contact the bank any second now, I'm sure of it. It's not only that. I, I had a card that I, um, I think it had been left in the car. I'm not sure. I can't remember what happened. But, like, the area or the, the chip died. So, it, you couldn't tap. It physically wouldn't work when you tapped it. Ah. And... 
Yeah, it was only like three months before it expired, so I didn't worry about it. I just waited till my new one turned up. But yeah, for I was like three months, I had to insert everywhere I went, and people got awfully confused. I'll take you. <laughs> and then it's actually, all your, your retro coming out, isn't it? Towards the end, my chip failed completely, and I couldn't even insert it, so I had to actually go back to the old swiping stuff. Uh. <laughs> and checkouts, a lot of checkout chicks have no idea how that works. They Imagine just... if they had to go... <laughs> Oh, the old mechanic. They've banned them now. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're not allowed to use them as backups anymore. They're too un- unsecure just because they store your data and clear text on, on the front of the page. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> so would, Nobody would go dumpster diving for the carbon copy page. And... No, no. No. There's no credit card fraud back at all when that was around. Yeah. Um, another thing I had to teach uh, one of the checkout people was that when... Because their card readers aren't being maintained and cleaned like they're supposed to be because nobody's using the swipe part of them anymore. So nobody's getting out the head cleaner and cleaning the head. So you swipe the card and nine times out of ten it doesn't work. Um, and they're all freaking out going, it doesn't work. And I said, well, you got two options. The first one is you grab the machine and squeeze it where the card yep. reader is so that it pushes the head closer to the card. And if that doesn't work, you get a plastic bag and you put your card in the plastic bag and the plastic bag creates a static charge and will pass the signal through the bag and put the signal closer to the heads so that usually works and if that <clears> fails <throat> the groceries are free well then yeah you just do <laughs> we can't even most places don't even do manual entry anymore no it's it's that's your last sort of override but most places don't even take that anymore speaking of old tech because why not we're all why the mainframe is alive and thriving. Mainframes are going strong after 70 years. They'll never die. Mainframes entered the market in the early 50s when IBM and seven <laughs> when IBM and the Seven Dwarfs, Burroughs, <laughs> uh, Burroughs, Unisys, NCR, Control, NCR still around, Control Data, Honeywell, GE, and RCA, who are both still around, create the computing age and completed the for critical applications, sophisticated modeling and large-scale transactions and workloads. Among the largest of organizations over the past seven decades, computer power storage and networking have seen various waves of centralization and decentralization amidst each wave of disruptive technology adoption. As with each wave, uh, pundits, analysts, and industry watchers have forecast the death of the mainframe. Yet the vulnerable mainframe has prevailed. In a Q4 2020 update on mainframe usage, IBM shared the following statistics on mainframe adoption. 67 of the F- Fortune 100... 45 of the top 50 banks, 8 of the top 10 insurers, 8 of the top 10 telcos, 7 of the top 10 retailers, and 4 of the top 5 airlines still use mainframes. Man, I knew I should have studied (laughs) Kerbal. Well, it may be one thing to to tout the usage of technology by which organizations continue to adopt them. IBM has grown usage as measured by MIPS, a method of calculating the raw speed used by 350% over the past 10 years. So it's not just that they're still using them, the usage is increasing. Yep. <laughs> the newest mainframes includes the latest Fujitsu GS21 series announced April 2018. Wow. Um, along with Fujitsu software GSSSX and SX21SXV20 something something numbers, letters, digits which supports connections with open systems. In September 2019, IBM launched the IBM Z15, showcasing key capabilities such as encryption anywhere, cloud-native development, 
uh, instant recovery from many com- uh, yeah, instant recovery from many conversations with uh, CIOs in healthcare, uh, travel, financial services, and pharma, and main f- the mainframe continues to play a key role in their overall modernization strategies. Uh, they're working with public cloud vendors such as Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, and Alibaba Cloud. While well, that sounds fair, while <laughs> keeping their intense workloads on the mainframe for both cost and security reasons. So it goes on and talks about you know who who's using and why. But uh, basically, in the industry, seventy four percent believe the mainframe has a long term viability. As a strategic platform for their organization, 91% identified expanding their mainframe footprints as a moderate or critical priority in the next 12 months. 72% are planning on upgrading to the mainframe in the next three years. Wow. <laughs> so, That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, uh, my, my brain just being old tech goes to big boxes with tape drives and whirly yeah. things and spinny <laughs> things, but that's not what it is. I mean, we're, we're talking, and not even... Rack mount servers, like, is sort of the next thing you think of. Um, and they're still big. They're not exactly small. Like, the Z15. Um, let's have a look here at the specs for that. So, the Z15 single-frame and multi-frame systems deliver security privacy, blah, blah, blah. Um, show me the specs on it. Uh, simplified. So, see, if we go for, like, a big four-frame um, so a big four frame system, like it's still like, so you can buy a single mainframe or a double yep. or a triple or a four. So they're still, you know, it's still a big system. They're not exactly a small system. Mm. Um, but they're not sort of <laughs> where my but brain They look goes. sporty yeah. now though. They really do. All the, um, all the LEDs and. It's like it's made by Rog Gaming or something, Asus Rog. They're running. So, <laughs> mainframe. Running Red Hat OpenShift. Um, apparently, is what they run natively. Uh. So, I'm just trying to find the actual processor specs on them, but they don't have them anywhere, which. Dang. I was just curious to know if they're actually using. I mean, I'm guessing that. The Some archi- servers switch to ARM even. Well, that's what I was going to say. I bet yeah. you the architecture is different to what it used to be because there's no reason if they're using uh, Red Hat, like using a Linux, the Linux kernels can run on a much larger variety of operating systems, of um, hardware. Hardware, yeah. And there's much more efficient hardware than the IBM compatible style, you know, your Intels, your AMDs, that sort of stuff. There's for bulk processing whether it's arm whether it's whatever there's a few other ones that are much more efficient than that so it wouldn't surprise me the slightest that they've um completely changed the the hardware in them yeah um i had a server a compact server from about what 2010 i don't know when i get this rack i got just looking at my big server rack i've got here i think i got it about seven, six years, six, seven years ago. And the compact server, and that was about 10 years old at the time I got it. So it was fairly old. But even that, <clears throat> even though it was a Intel like 64 core something, that hard it was an Intel processor, 
but you wouldn't recognize the hardware as a standard hardware like everything and it looks completely different to what you'd expect yeah um i remember doing servers back in the day back 2000 pre-2000 and they're literally just like normal pc motherboards and cpus with like six network cards in them <laughs> yeah all just net uh, racked yeah there, there was nothing special about the hardware in them but and what what's not fun is when you sit it in the wrecked telescopic arms and you start sliding it in <laughs> and all the ball bearings go Pop, yeah. all over the floor that's exactly why oh, i don't want to move my camera but i've got a gutted server sitting in there because i'm not i refuse to take this actual case of the server off the rails because i know what's going to happen as soon as i do it so i've taken the top off and i've taken all the hardware out of that <laughs> and it's now just a shelf sitting there that i keep stuff in yeah yeah because yeah. it's happened and it's not a pretty <laughs> sight and then you've got lots of little tiny ball bearings to run all over the server room trying to find yeah well it's like five degrees and all this whirring noise going on everywhere. And-, and then above it, I've got the top part of an Apple server. Was it Q4 or whatever they call them? They bought out a server for a while. Oh, yeah. And there was an Apple server there, but it's the same thing. I've left it on the slide rails. I've just gutted it and taken everything out of it. That doesn't work anymore. But yeah. I refuse to take those slide rails apart. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to put up with the, has- the annoyance of having them there than to take them out. Yeah. Good idea. <laughs> Um, my stuff will finish on a light note. It's one of the most iconic images in cinema, a lion framed by a golden circle of film stock triumphantly roaring just before the opening credits roll. Now, after almost 100 years and more than half a dozen real live roaring lions, MGM is replacing its iconic mascot for a near-identical computer-generated duplicate. Leo the lion is dead, long live Leo the CG lion. This change has been in the works for a while. MGM originally planned to debut its new CG mascot in the latest James Bond film, but when No Time to Die was delayed from 2019 to 2021 due to the coronavirus pandemic, so was Leo's first roar from the Uncanny Valley. Instead, MGM revealed the logo on YouTube Monday and the sizzle reel shared with Adweek, which said MGM worked with Culver City, California-based Baked Studios on the new look. At a glance, the revamped logo is almost identical to the version MGM has been using for the past 64 years. Leo the Lion's CG replacement has the same roar and looks almost identical to its predecessor. The circle that frames him is still made up of golden ribbon of film, twisted into an elegant wreath and underlined by a drama mask. In fact, the largest change in the trademark's intro animation, which displays the original logo's slogan in English before slowly zooming out, reverting to the original Latin, art for art's sake it's hardly the first time mgm has revamped its logo there have been eight different lions since 1924 and each one was used in multiple iterations of the logo the first line didn't even roar sometimes lions would be replaced after the first roar by a mark's brother or tom from tom and jerry for a brief moment in the 1960s mgm got rid of the roaring lion altogether replacing him with a stylized lion graphic it's eh, just not right. I don't like it. <laughs> no. No. It's, I mean, why? There's absolutely no reason for it other than they, they, they could. Like, kind of reminds me more of the uh, CG lion from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe show, right? That's exactly what it reminds me of. 
They probably just used that as a base. Probably they would have had it. <laughs> was it MGM that did that? Don't know. But yeah, I don't know. I. I mean, I guess they're all doing it. Like you look at the new twenty first century spotlight or whatever it is. Yep. Um, Disney's twentieth century. Yeah, the new the new Disney castle looks horrific, actually. Is it? Uh, I don't like it at all. I, I don't know. But there's some things that you don't need to change. Yeah. Like the first change to DreamWorks. Um. With the boy doing his fishing. That was the yeah. The very first change to the Green DreamWorks logo was um when Shrek I think it was Shrek changed was it Shrek changed the intro to have I'm just double checking myself here. Um Yeah. They changed the logo to have the... Uh, Warner Brothers did a few times too, like with the Matrix that turned the Warner's Brother logo into the Matrix code design and then zoomed away. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, yeah, that's right. Shrek, they did the... Um, they changed the logo a little bit and had the uh, S... There's the Shrek S on the logo. Oh, yeah. And that was like the first time that anybody had ever customized the DreamWorks logo or something. A lot of the time they're really strict. Don't change anything. It's perfect. Nothing can be different. Then mm. someone's like, well, why don't you do this? It'd be cool or funny or whatever. They're like, we really don't want... Okay, we'll try it once. Oh, everybody loved it. Maybe you should try again. Yeah. Like the 21st Century Fox one, wasn't it? The Simpsons or something had that on one time and... They use the spotlight to blind helicopter pilots and they mm. crash. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's what I was saying before. You know, it was 20th Century Fox and then it, it was the same forever and then it became what 21st Century Fox or whatever they changed it to. Didn't they change it? Probably, yeah. Um, i trying to remember now. But yeah, I don't know. Like, why? I mean, I get it for someone like DreamWorks you know when they have their illumination you know and that gets changed and whatever and i understand that because they're a cgi company but your 20th logo 20th century logo your, um it's all you iconic know, all that sort of stuff next you'll be telling me that they'll be doing a cg lamp for the pixar one <laughs> that would be crazy no no right <laughs> that's my stuff like that's fine because it's a digital it company like, uh, yeah i don't have a problem with that because that's what they do yeah. um but i mean you go back and you look at mgm back in the, the heyday back in the black and white days they're so majestic and their stuff was so um you know for the time they'll they dispense you could what am I trying to say? You could feel that they actually had... Because MGM weren't the only... You know, in the 50s, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, they weren't the only movie production around, but they just had this nuance about the what they did that made them stand out. Their their picture qualities were always nicer in their, in their film and their thought process behind the way the film was introduced was always better and their logo like everything about them was just that slightly bit more refined 
yeah. than most of their competition at the time. Um, and then they sort of hit the like sixties and they just fell apart. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> you know. Um, so I don't know. I think uh, I don't know. Change for change. Change for change's sake. Sometimes we'll see what see what the reaction is. I mean, don't, and of course, see, it's also a bit of a a loaded question because the younger generation are probably most likely going to prefer the CGI one over the real one. Yeah. So I guess technically they're the future of the company. So I guess you do what they want because the old fogies they're done with their you know hanging out in movie theaters and drive throughs drive-ins and whatever yeah. drive-ins are these days just watching it you know that Netflix. doesn't happen anymore yeah exactly and so maybe that's why i don't know maybe maybe i'm maybe i'm much more old-fashioned than i should be for my age i don't know you're just an old fart yeah that's <laughs> and a geek yeah that sounds like a good name for a show <laughs> um, just quickly, uh, we were talking a bit about crypto lately because it's starting to come back into fat again at the moment. Unity Miner. So, um, <clears throat> uh, I don't explain Unity Miner now. I didn't think that far ahead, but basically, it's a a machine mining software. Uh, the miner's called Unity Miner. It, it's a malware. It uses, um a hacked version of XMRig. So XMRig mines generally Monero, XMR. Uh, it's CPU. usually a CPU miner, more often than, a, than not, depending on your CPU, of course. Um, but there's this Unity monitor hacks it and on, um, on QNAP NAS devices. So... Using a remote code exception for QNAP, uh, Taiwanese vendor, manufacturers hardware including network, attached storage devices, products used to provide additional centralized storage in home business use cases. Uh, on March 2nd, 360 Net Lab received reports of QNAP NAS devices were subject to a new wave of attacks. The IoT, of course, and associated devices are commonly hijacked through brute force attacks. And because they're lower end devices, they don't have the the you know, they're quite vulnerable a lot of the time to a brute force attack because they just don't have the processing power to do anything about it. Yep. Which usually leads to remote code execution. Um, the vulnerabilities are tracked uh, according to the, the QNAP help desk. Um, they combine improper access controls and command injection vulnerabilities which can be used to trigger RCA and hijack NAS devices. Critical vulnerabilities were disclosed... Uh, in October 7, 2020, devices that contain firmware prior to August are vulnerable. Um, hundreds of thousands of online QNAP devices have been infected and have not been patched. Um, an online mapping scan as of last week detected 4.3 million QNAP NAS devices uh, with a million unique IPs that may remain vulnerable. Oh, yeah. Uh, products are susceptible to full hijacking through attackers gaining root privileges allows them to deploy cryptocurrency mining malware so the, this is called Unity Miner it uses as I said XMRig which is a CPU mining software which is why they're using it because even a low end CPU especially on NAS they're actually relatively powerful these days can mine you Monero can get hundreds of thousands of them hacked exactly. doing it 
and they're all min- they're all mining the same Monero code through the same user key, effectively. Um, you're gonna you'll notice because you're um, uh, the only way you'll know you can't check it through the system usage because it's been hacked to not show the correct CPU usage. Uh, however, you'll notice that because your NAS actually slows down, and if your large file transfers may file, fail, or uh, CPU intensive things such as watching movies and encoding movies, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, Unity Miner is compatible with ARM64 and AMD64, uh, which um, another reason it kind of gets away with it is they they don't. They intentionally try not to overload the NAS. They only use about 50% of the available processing power. So unless you're doing something really intense, you're not even going to notice that it's happening. You may yeah. notice maybe through network consumption, but you know that's that's a bit. It doesn't use a lot of network resources. Um, unless but, you're looking out for it specifically, you won't know it's there. Exactly. Uh, the pool proxies are used to disguise the address of the wallet where the cryptocurrency is being stored. Um. So there've been active updates. The most recent update says the company has been actively monitoring emerging IT security intelligence and deliver updated information. Um, recent product security news piece is so basically they're saying, yeah, if your system has firmware newer than August last year, if you've got an update that's newer than that. Uh, it should solve the problem. Uh-huh. So if you're running a NAS or you're running any of the QNAP devices or the IoT stuff, which can be, um, you know, there's they have quite a, a broad range of products, uh, go and check to see if there are updates available because you could be making somebody money. Hmm. <laughs> you don't want to be doing that. No. Making <laughs> your own money. I mean... That, um, that's got me thinking. I've got a quad-core NAS. Actually, that's an eight-core NAS sitting up there. You could do Monero. I wonder what mining Monero on that would would get me. I mean, I'm, I know mining, probably not much. I mean, it doesn't sound like much because my eight-core AMD at work processes about um, 22 cents a day on CPU mining. Yep. And my quad-core Intel at work processes like seven cents a day so a nas probably does but i guess you think about it if you get a nas that does one cent a day and you've got access to four million nasses that's four million cents a day that you're raking in it's not not a bad profit really is it (laughs) (laughs) as much as i'm not a fan of people who hack other people's stuff that's a that's a pretty decent it's a it's a no Hardly anyone runs any virus on their NASs either, which no. is why it's so easy. That's right, and it's a, it's almost a, it's almost a true victimless crime. I mean, you're not really, other than maybe you might be slowing the NAS down if it's a company or a business. You're not really interfering with anybody. You're not hurting anybody. And okay, this guy's making millions of dollars out of it, but it's almost the perfect crime if you think about it. Yeah, because there could be unpatched NASs sitting in a, I don't know. Yeah. A server room somewhere for the next twenty five years, just yeah. sitting there mining. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's not all bad. Not bad. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads Show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com dot com slash Aussie Tech Heads. 
twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, youtube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, patreon.com slash Aussie Tech Heads, and also coffee.com, ko ko.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Email us Glenwell and Warlock at aussietechheads.com.au. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on aussietechradio.com. 24-7 back-to-back players, some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows edit each Friday. See you next time. See you guys. Have fun. <laughs>